there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining this new community. We started with interviews of Tyler Adams, Marcelo Balboa, Landon Donovan, Derek Ray, and Julie Foudy, so check those out. This podcast is a joint effort with The Total Soccer Show, and it comes out twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. But today we've got a bonus episode with my interview of Roberto Martinez, the head coach and technical director for Belgium, the number one ranked team in the FIFA World Rankings. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could hit that subscribe button, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. I can't tell you how much that helps, especially early on. You guys have been absolutely amazing with that, so thank you. Now here's my interview with Roberto Martinez. Our guest now is the manager who led Belgium to the semifinals of World Cup 2018 and the current number one spot in the FIFA World Rankings. You also know Roberto Martinez from his days managing Everton and Wigan and from his terrific work on ESPN during major tournaments. I also spent some time with him for a chapter in my book, Masters of Modern Soccer. He just extended his contract with Belgium as its head coach and technical director through 2022. Roberto, thanks for joining me. Pleasure, Graham. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, first off, you are in the northwest uh, part of England right now uh, where you live. How are you and your family doing during all this virus stuff? Well, um, we don't live here. We live in in Belgium, in the south of Brussels, but as as you you know, these these are difficult times and very challenging moments. And we decided before we went to lockdown, we decided to come to the UK just because I think geographically it suited more for our family for um, how we could all be responsible and safe and and being able to adapt to the time. And we came to the northwest of England where uh, we've been living for many years, but. It's, a, it's been a difficult time to, to not to be in Belgium with, with, with the work that we're doing there and in the same way following how all the news are going around the world with these, with these uh, unusual times. Congratulations on extending your contract with Belgium until after the 2022 World Cup. You could have decided to go back into club coaching. Why did you want to keep going with Belgium? Well, I think it's a, a few... A few reasons. I don't think there is one major reason. Uh, first and foremost, I must admit that I never expected uh, this. I think when I went into international football, I felt that I was still young in my in my career, but I wanted to to work with this generation. This this is a, a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful generation of footballers in Belgium. I would say the the, the golden, the world so so called golden generation in Belgium. And my idea was just to work for a major tournament. I always wanted to be involved in a in a major tournament as a as a coach. And after what we experienced in Russia, winning the bronze medal, we felt that we wanted to carry on. And sometimes you need to listen to your to your good feeling. And it felt natural to carry on. Now the federation in the last few years has changed uh, immensely and now is a huge um, project for the future, not just for now. It's just to try to produce the new generation and to help the new players to understand what's needed to be in the expectations of playing for the national team of Belgium, which, as you well mentioned, number one in the FIFA ranking. And I think going along with those two uh, roles, uh, I was really much looking forward to the European Championships. They were postponed for a year and I think everything made sense to start a new chapter to start a chapter that is preparing now for the next 
three big tournaments that we have that international football is going to be really intense. But then alongside uh, is having this long-term strategy of working with individuals, trying to prepare them to one day uh, fill the boots of the current players, which is, which is uh, an interesting project because I think that generation is going to be the football changer in Belgium. If the players that we produce in the future can maintain the level, we're going to see Belgium carry on being top five in the world. But if we cannot, if we if we fail of helping our players to to develop into the level that they need to, we could uh, easily drop into a, a a level that that Belgian football doesn't want to work. So um, a, a lot of a lot of reasons. But um, sharing a feeling of excitement and naturality, which is I always I, I always look into that. Now, when you added the technical director role with Belgium a couple of years ago, what are the main job tasks that are involved with being the technical director in addition to being the senior national team coach? Well, I think um, obviously Belgium is a small nation, only eleven million people, but we got a lot of a lot of institutions, football institutions. So it brings the, that role needs to almost uh, bring everyone together and set uh, a good path of working for the good of the players and the development of players. So you're trying to bring the Flemish Federation with the uh, French Federation that we have in, in Belgium working to develop the players. And that means embracing amateur football, uh, working alongside development of the game and the professional game. And that's a, a, a wonderful position to share the two roles. Um, I think it works really well in Belgium because these Red Devils, the, the national team or this generation are setting uh, the standards. And I think having the insight of being the head coach in this dressing room, you can almost be transparent and bring uh, good practice to every corner of, of football in Belgium. And I think that's why it works really well for us. Um, I, I took the job of the technical director in October 2018. And since then, we put some projects that they work really, really well. And now we just uh, want to carry on doing doing that aspect. I think it gives you um, a real a strong clarity, uh, in this case, sharing the two roles. And um, I'm really looking forward to to extend a little bit the, the ideas and, 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 and what we have to do. Now, Euro 2020 was supposed to start soon here on June 12th. Now it's not happening until 2021. Fingers crossed that it happens in 2021. How much could the 12-month delay cause you to decide to take maybe different players to next year's Euro, which is just a year out from the World Cup? Well, I think I always like to almost leave football, the one that he makes that decision. I don't think you can see them plan that what the time will do with with the level of 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 the players um a month could be a really long time so 12 months a lot of is going to happen in players careers from uh, moving into clubs that for whatever reason they don't settle in from getting injuries and the other way around that what we wanted to create is a real competitive environment almost embracing the fact that the young talent will be given an opportunity so 12 months we all uh, excited that We've got a really strong group that we've been working with 45 players, which is a, uh, a very high number to be able to maintain the quality. And, 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 and that's the, the group that we've been working on. So I think 12 months is going to be a big difference. But in, in this case, I think we're concentrating on the next tournament. The next tournament is the Nations League. We're even playing against one of the teams that we're going to play 
in the in the European Championships. So all of a sudden is the perfect uh, preparation for that tournament. But there will be situations where the younger players they get older, more experienced. But in football, if the experienced guy is performing well, it's down to the younger guy to get him off there. And with I don't. Uh, I haven't got a crystal ball and I cannot encourage one or the other. Um, but I, it gives me a big strength to be neutral and assess the journey. But at the moment, we're working with a lot of, a lot of um, responsibility, the older players, the experienced players. And we've got a few that they're getting very close to those 100 caps. They are the ones that they're pulling the younger players up and they are almost giving them the perfect preparation for one day, obviously. Uh, overtake their position, but at the moment we're enjoying that that competitive um, environment that we created, high performance environment. And twelve months, who knows? We don't know how much the squad would would change. Your Belgium team beat Brazil at the 2018 World Cup. You went out to France uh, in the semifinals, got third place. When you look back at that tournament and that game against France in particular. You know, it what went well and, and what could have happened. What stands out to you today? Well, uh, we always, I always said that um, going to the major tournament, what we wanted is to try to everything we, uh, we we were trying to do everything we could to win the tournament. Um, you can never go into a tournament hoping. You can never go to a tournament um, believing that you're going to win it because it's is is a real. Um, elite level that the margins are very small and you need to combine aspects of having the talent which clearly our players have but is almost being able to perform on the day being able to to have that psychology psychological resilience of understanding the uh, expectations and all the hope and the belief in that the nation uh, brings in you and and our tournament was was really pleasing we played the seven games we wanted that was one of our targets we wanted to be there for seven games and uh, psychologically we we showed that we were a team that we were we were capable of performing against the hardest uh, nation playing a World Cup, which is Brazil. Um, before you arrive to the stadium, everyone tells you this is the nation that's won the World Cup five times, everything is yellow, and you need to almost overcome that feeling that, yes, we can win them. Um, there is no one uh, team that, unless they believe they can beat Brazil, they will do it. And, and that was an, uh, an amazing moment. The French uh, opposition or the, 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 the national team that at the end won the World Cup is a wonderful squad. Um, fantastic, talented players, and on the day when we look back, and you always have to do to do that. I think any defeat that you have, and uh, you have to become better at the back of it. And I always look at the game of France it's like we got what we expected. Um, it's not uh, we haven't got any regrets in the fact that we couldn't read the game. Uh, we expected to have the possession. We expected to have the ball. We knew that France were really. Um, discipline, they were going to use the real threat that they have on the counter-attack with players like Mbappé, Griezmann and they were going to try to um, close the, the space and we expected that and we played the game in a way that uh, we, we we never got surprised but everything went down to a minimal uh, details as it happens we considered from a set play and we couldn't really take advantage of the chances that we that we created. And I think we went away thinking, okay, we need to prepare ourselves even more. We need to grow out of this this pain to try to go one one better. And we did it in the tournament to be able to win bronze medal 
Um, I often say that to, to, to coaches. Um, we prepared absolutely everything. And in international football, you can prepare everything in terms of what you expect. You never, ever know how difficult it will be to play another game when you lose a semi-final in a World Cup. This is something that is unwritten. Uh, the pain and the disappointment is there, affects you more on a human level than in a footballer's level. And we were able to, to, to get up and, and fight for becoming um, the best generation in Belgian football in the history of, of the World Cup, because in, in 86 in Mexico, it was a fourth place. And I was extremely proud in the manner that we faced adversity, but then I think we're going to take that defeat against France with us in order to grow into the next tournament. You're a coach who has not had his players together since, I believe, last November. Um, and we still don't know exactly when you might have them next. I know FIFA is getting the international calendar kind of arranged, hopefully, before too long. How tough is that for you not to be working with your players in training sessions for so long? It's tough, but I think you need to make it... Uh, you, you need to understand why this situation is happening. I, I agree completely with UEFA and then FIFA that we had to almost uh, prioritize domestic football. Uh, I think football got in a very difficult moment that the leagues had to finish their seasons. Uh, there's a lot of big contracts with the tele television, uh, television rights that a lot of clubs could have been in, in serious difficulty if the season would have never ended. And I think at that point it was about uh, helping uh, the, the, this almost some of them over 100 year old institutions and football clubs and, and, and try to see how the season could end. Uh, I think international football is going to come back. I, I do feel that it could be a change of dates, but September, October, November will be three camps that I feel are needed in international football. But uh, almost the reason of this postponement and, 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 and taking um, the international camps away was, was the right reason and, and the, the right decision. And all it mattered is that the humanity as a whole could be safe and, and, and everyone can look forward to, to get the next few games. So it's been disappointing, but in the same way, very much understanding and trying to put different um, ways of working together without having the players and trying to prepare the next few games with a, a real desire of getting back on the pitch, but understanding that we are not uh, working because this is, uh, needs a must. I think any coach in the world would kill to have, uh, to be able to work as the Belgium national team coach, to work with some of the individual talents that you have the opportunity to work with. And so I'm wondering if if I pick just a couple players, if if you could maybe tell me what you've learned from about them from working with them, and the first one I would put out there is Kevin De Bruyne. What have you learned about working with Kevin about him? Well, I think is um, I think we all if we would sit down and speak about the players of of the Belgium national team, I think you would be very very um, accurate in terms of the exceptional talent that they have, and I think Kevin De Bruyne is one of those footballers that you don't get the opportunity to work too often because uh, they are unique. Uh, for me, Kevin De Bruyne has brought a different uh, way of understanding the role of a playmaker. Uh, playmaker in, always through the years, and you can pick 
whichever playmaker you prefer and, and, and you enjoy, they were players that they were slowing the tempo down, that they had to almost find their own time in the game and then execute that pass that is going to make the difference, that is going to create a numerical advantage, that's going to get your striker a 1v1 situation with the keeper. Kevin De Bruyne can execute that even quicker than what you can see a play. And I think that's that's where he takes the game. Is He makes the playmaker figure take a dynamic approach. Um, Kevin is always thinking about the next uh, pass is going to go into the path of a player rather than a ball into the feed that he could delay the game. Uh, if he can do a, an action in one in one touch, he's not going get, to get two touches. And I think that's a different concept of that playmaker, the quality that he has to execute that pass. That maybe uh, when you're watching a game, you don't even see it. Um, he's got the appreciation of where the player could get in the space, that, that understanding of space and time is quite uh, fascinating from a is, uh, from a that footballer's brain. But what I would highlight of this group of players from Kevin, as you mentioned, Eden Hazard, Romero Lukaku, Axel Witzel, Thomas Monier, Bertongen, Company, Bermalen, uh, Olderville, Courtois, and the list goes on, is the responsibility that they feel when they come to Belgium. This is a generation that at a very young age, they knew that they had to leave Belgium in order to progress and, and become the players that they are. But they've been very humble and they always come back and they are players that they want to make history for for their nation. And, and that's a wonderful aspect that I don't think we see enough um, too many times now. Even though it's a sports, uh, it's a team sport, football, you get individuals that they are more brands and they almost use international football for the reckoning of their brand or to expanding their brands. And uh, these players are not. They're almost very old-fashioned in the way that they get on really well. They always, every time they get together, it's almost looking back at the memories when they were growing and they were sharing those dreams of becoming big players in big teams. And now they want to do it for the national team. And I think that's the, the humbling part when you get into, into a training session and you get these players with that incredible talent. What makes them special is what it matters for them to be there and almost see the success through someone else's enjoyment on the pitch. And, and I think that's something that we are trying to record and we're trying to almost structure for the new generations to, to take on because this is quite unusual and probably that's the reason why the talent that they have is becoming a winning talent on the pitch. You've worked with Romelu Lukaku since he was a very young player. Um, how have you seen him continue to grow over the years? He had a lot of success at a very young age, but he's obviously continued to get better. It's growing all the time. I think you mentioned it. Uh, I started working with him at, when he was 19. And at that point, already had a major transfer fee paid for him. He was already a top uh, goal scorer in two clubs that he was. Um, and still adapting and, and growing because he's a footballer that is a number nine. And normally when we speak about number nines, you always get a profile, a type of, of footballer. It could be someone that he plays really well with back to play. It could be a player that has got real uh, strength and speed to run in behind and use the space behind. It could be someone that is a good finisher. Uh, Romelo can be any of those. It can be any uh, type of number nine that you want him. But his exceptional quality is scoring goals. And if you look at his figures, uh, um, incredible. So from that point, you're looking at this already been, he started in Belgium, but then he already went to, to the Premier League. He worked in three different clubs there. Then he went into a big 
moved to Manchester United. From that point now, he's in one of the big clubs in Italy. This is a this is a player that is is uh, ready to always push himself out of the comfort zone and carry on whatever the situation, whatever the system, whatever the expectations, carry on scoring goals. And I think that's what we appreciate in the national team. He's already the all-time goal scorer in the national team and still in a very young age. But it's, it's, it's almost um, someone that he, he accepts that scoring goals is, is natural. I don't think he has to work a lot on that aspect, but he wants to work on all the other aspects of the game. And that's why he has been improving immensely but the real strength that he has and, and what we should measure in him on is the capacity of scoring goals. I know Eden Hazard has had a bit of a tough season with injuries at Real Madrid but obviously a phenomenal talent. Where, where do you think Eden Hazard is in his his career right now and in, in what he can still bring at the international level? It's in the best moment of his career and I think what you're mentioning is, is very clear that in football and any sport, look plays a big part. Um, Evan was eight seasons at Chelsea in, in the UK, in the EPL, and he missed 18 games in eight seasons. He's already been at Real Madrid and he's missed 20 games already. And that's, uh, it, that's one of those challenges that you have to face as a player. Sometimes it's an injury that it gets complicated and all of a sudden. Um, what I would say is that already now, Evan, I can see that is getting uh, well prepared. I think any other player would have gone to Real Madrid with the expectations and not been able to play, not been able to be on the pitch and been almost that signing that he had to build the project around. And he would find it very difficult. And it's almost you lost before you start. And in Edens, it's the opposite. Everything is almost growing and in getting ready inside. And it's going to be a joy to see him on the football pitch. Uh, this is a player that he brings the 1v1 situation into a different level and, and it will, um, I think it will mark a period in, in Real Madrid history without a doubt because he's ready, because he's already been winning titles in France and, and in the UK and now he's ready to do it in, in Spain after being one of the leaders of this national team with, with Belgium. So uh, it's been difficult to see him no, not being able to be on the pitch, but what I've seen is that he's grown even in that responsibility and maturity and almost preparing the character uh, much uh, more than it would have been just arriving and being able to play play games. You obviously watch a lot of club football. If you could pick one team this season that you have most enjoyed watching play on a regular basis, which team would it be and why? That's a very good question because um, I think there is a there is a before and after. Um, I think before the teams stopped. For the due to the COVID-19. I would say that Leipzig uh, in the German Bundesliga, they were a joy to watch. Uh, obviously, I really enjoyed the system 3-4-3 um, and they played uh, that in a dynamic manner, taking risks. Uh, I really appreciate teams that they come out to, to take, prepare to take risks, to defend high, defend quick, create chances, scoring goals. And Leipzig with a lot of young players um, with a very, very strict methodology on, on how to play the game. I think for me, they've been one of the most enjoyable teams to watch until COVID-19. I think at the back of it, um, I would say uh, now, because obviously the German league is already on its way, I've seen an incredible improvement in other teams. And I would say Borussia Dortmund, uh, it was a shame because the game against Bayern in Munich, I thought that um, 
that would have been almost it was a final within the league competition in, in Germany and they were unfortunate not to win I think Bayern were very strong on the day but in terms of the way that the team is growing and the way they are playing and we've got two players there so we're following them closely it's been quite impressive to see the level that Borussia Dortmund had I got to admit I'm, I'm a little surprised you didn't mention Liverpool here no I've at, at Liverpool, they've been they've been for the last oh, 24 months. Uh, they've been playing a very good level, and even for a good Evertonian, you you can easily highlight the good football that that um, Liverpool or the good results that Liverpool are getting. I think they the most um, uh, the biggest highlight of Liverpool is that they got into a winning mentality. That not necessarily they need to play well for 90 minutes. It's a team that if they hit. The, the zone for 20 minutes they can win the game and I think that's a big strength and this is a different um, different debate um, I'm just I was talking of highlighting teams that they are structured that they're trying to do certain things for 90 minutes that they take risks they play from the back we know that Liverpool the way that uh, Jurgen Klopp has got the team playing with an incredible physicality high pressing they make it difficult for the opposition they win the ball really close to the goal they can they can use the front three in a very good way. But then I think it was that signing of Van Dijk. And recruitment sometimes is essential. And in this, in, this, in this team, it proved to be. And they developed that winning mentality. I was in the Champions League final in Madrid. And it was a, 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 a disappointing game for both, for both teams. I think maybe we were all expecting so much about that game. But even then, they showed that they learned even to know what you have to do at times just to win games and to win uh, a major a major trophy like the Champions League. But I think that's a very different um, in terms of assessing a team that it surprises you and taking risks and they start from the back and in a way that Leipzig did. Um, it's a completely different comparison. Nothing to do that um, probably in a different color in the same city. I appreciate the Leipzig mention. I've watched them a lot this year in part because I watch the Bundesliga, but also they have a young American, Tyler Adams, who, when he's healthy, has gotten some time on the field for them. Um, in, in addition to what you like with Leipzig, what have you seen this season as some of the more intriguing trends tactically in football? It's, um, it's interesting. Uh, football, everything is invented. So unless we change something drastically... Uh, this game has been playing for for many, many, many years, and is always a goalkeeper, ten outfield players, and you have to put the ball in the net. So you, the trends are recognisable, and you see them there from the total football of of um, uh, of Holland. You're going through um, from being really um, teams that they played systems, certain systems very well. Then we went through the phase that Spanish football with the possession game with 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 Barcelona style. It went to a possession based. Everyone, every team in the world wanted to play possession football. It was just about getting on the ball and playing and keeping the ball for the sake of it without knowing. And then slowly we went to that phase that it was more about quick counter-attack and being very solid. Atletico Madrid got into finals of the Champions League. Leicester won the Premier League. And you saw that trend. I think now we got uh, probably Liverpool influence of that um, threat that when you haven't got the ball, pressing so high up. I think you see it now, teams more and more working in that aspect. It's what happens as soon as you lose the ball. Can you win the ball high up the pitch? Because it's a way of, of, of creating a lot of threat and position um, in probably in the weakest moment that they have. And I, I've seen that trend quite um, clear. Uh, a lot of teams concentrating 
on what they do as soon as they, they lose the ball and, and where they can execute that team pressure and, and, and execute it really high the pitch. But in terms of systems, um, the back three is, is, is evolve a lot. It's a system that I appreciate. I used it already in 2009, 2010, and it's a very difficult system to play well. But when you play it well, it gives you uh, real good advantages all, all over the pitch. You've got an extra uh, almost body in the spaces. You can create 1v1 situations. And I think I've seen uh, in every league in, in, in the top leagues in European football, you always get one or two teams that they're challenging to win the title and they play in the back three. So that's been probably the two elements that I would say that modern football has has evolved into that dynamic approach of losing the ball and winning the back is almost a counter press and the aspect of developing a back three in your in your in your side. Roberta, you're a well-known figure in the United States. We are co-hosting a World Cup here in 2026. I would suspect that the job coaching the U.S. men's national team from 2023 to 2026 would be a coveted job. Would you have any interest in that job in 2023? In in football, uh, anything that it goes further than a month, I I can't give you (laughs) ever an answer. Uh, If I learned something in football is that you can't plan uh, for the future because you're underachieved or you, you could set the targets to, too high. And what I can say is that I always felt that um, USA, one day they'll, they'll hit it in a way that they, they, they will win something big. Um, I work with, with, a, with a couple of American players, but especially uh, Tim Howard. For me, that incredible professionalism to almost take uh, pushing things to the limit and... The coaching is growing all the time in, 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 in the MLS, uh, the influence of, of other uh, ways of thinking. and uh, The big numbers is just soccer is growing all the time. And there will be a moment that the, the generation will allow you to have a very, very competitive team to do something special in a World Cup. So um, it's, it's, it's something that I've always been curious about and I always check. But... Uh, Believe me, I don't know what's going to happen in six months down the line, so I can't really answer that question. (laughs) One last question. You are a young man still, just 46 years old. I also say that because I am a young man, or at least like to think I am at 46 years old. Do you want to coach in the club game again in your career? Yes. Yeah, I think that's an easy... An easy question. Um, I've never, when I started, um, I think when you plan uh, of things that you want to do in your career, I, I, I did generally wanted to be involved in international football, but I never expected to be that early. I always felt that international football is at the beginning of your coaching career just because it's a start and it's a way of looking back a lot because uh, you're planning games, but you're playing every month or even it's a period of five months. It's everything about preparation. It's all, everything about looking back. It's everything about following the development of a player from afar. It's working with players that they are not in your in your control. It's, uh, you cannot share emotions when you lose a game or you win the game. The players go back to the clubs. And this is a very specific way of, of creating a, a group. And I always I was really stimulated about being one day in a World Cup or a major tournament. Obviously, the way he came, he came after seven consecutive seasons in the Premier League that probably I needed a little bit of that time to look back and, and reassess 
the work that, that, that you do. And now when I speak with coaches, uh, I always tell them the same. I think international football is an incredible opportunity in the middle of your career because uh, it makes you better. It makes you more organized. It makes you assess your work. And you can be uh, a bit more accurate with prioritizing when you go forward. And I would like to use the experience that I had in international football to go back into a club level. So my, my answer would be, um, I feel that the international football and club level football are completely different jobs. And I think you need to accept it straight away. Otherwise, you cannot carry on in one or the other because they, if you were going to compare both, they're completely different. But I think one complements the other extremely well as a coach. And for that reason, I want to go back um, to club level football whenever that is. It could be uh, in two years. It could well be in 10 years. You never, you never know. Well, from one young man to another, Roberto Martinez, thank you so much for coming on the show. Grant, it's been a pleasure, as usual. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Roberto Martinez as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of the Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.